Good morning. It is good to be together, isn't it? See each other face to face. Y'all are looking pretty good. Just make sure you know that. Before we get into Second John, would y'all pray with me, please? Father, we humbly come before you, knowing that you are our God and our Creator. That you have given us life and breath. And that all that we need in this life you have given us. And we ask, Father, to help us. That you will help us to live today. Not just to go through this life taking care of these bodies, but to live this life in a way that honors and glorifies you in a way that shows the meaning that you've given us through your Son, in a way that reflects whose we are. Father, we are so very grateful that you have loved us so much to bring us back to you. And we know, Father, that one day we'll be with you. And it's with that hope, with the joy of knowing you're faithful to your promises, that we will live today. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Have you all ever uh, helped somebody learn how to ride a bike? Now, it's the process of teaching somebody to ride a bike. You sit them down and you explain it all to them, Right? You tell them you got to do your pedals this way. You go backwards to brake if you've got one of those. Otherwise, hand brakes. I don't know. Those seem confusing to me to teach the little ones, but most of them can't figure out brakes to begin with. So we'll just go from there. But when you sit there and you talk about it, that you've got to go fast enough, you've got to do this to get balanced, you've got to be aware of all, you know, you go through all the process. But the thing is, is no matter how much we may explain how to ride a bike, how do they learn how to ride a bike? If you get them on one, and you shove them down the sidewalk or the street, and you go help pick them back up a little ways later. Every once in a while, you get one that's got some kind of skill that's just magical that they figure out, and they can keep going, and they manage to stop. But most of us had to fall down a couple of times before we finally figured it all out. You know, when some, one of the kids falls down, you don't get them up and give them the lecture again. You, you kind of get them back on it and try to get them to see what they need to be doing. they got to put it into practice to get all the pieces together. You know, the difference between theoretical and practical. You know, theoretical is all just talking about the words, but in practice you've got to put it together with, with doing it and making it come together the way it is. Second John, I think, is that kind of book, is that kind of letter. Not very long, but gives us a reminder of what we need to be able to get through living. There, there are some things I think that we, we know that they're true. Truth and love. Central points about what we're all about in Christ, right? But if we're not careful, sometimes we think of truth and love as separate from each other. And so we can talk about talk, telling somebody the truth. And then over here, think about love as something entirely different. But when you pull out Second John, 
John will tell us, God tells us in telling John, is that this theme of truth and love is something that we can't separate one from the other. So when you, when you read through these first six verses, did y'all hear how many times he talked about love and truth? The elder to the lady chosen by God to her children whom I love in the truth. And not only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one that we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. If you heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Now, if you read those six verses, there's something that ought to jump out to us. That when we talk about truth, we have to talk about love. When we talk about love, we have to talk about truth. That you can't separate them out. And, and we miss what God really has in mind for us if we try to do that. that. That truth and love are not opposites. We cannot say, I'm being truthful and be unloving. And, and declare we're doing what God wants us to do. We can't be loving and ignore the truth and think that we're doing what God wants us to do. They go hand in hand. They stay together no matter what. And, and so the idea that, that we can talk, to talk about them separately would be, you can't do that. You can't separate those two from each other. And I think when we try to do that, it shows we really don't understand love or truth. When we act like we can be truthful without being loving. And we, and we act like we can be loving without being truthful. We've got to have them go hand in hand. And so that idea of, of them being inseparable, uh, we get the first three, three verses. You know, when he, when he talks about this, he says, whom I love in truth. You know, when he gives that, he, he's, he's reminding us that those things go together. And, and so all those, also all those who know the truth. Y'all hear the implication in that is he's saying, when you understand what's true, you are loving. It comes out, of, that's the root that comes out of it. And so when we understand what's true, we, the end result is that we love. And so he says all the truth. Because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. And then he comes down to Christ. And from Jesus Christ, the Father, the sons, will be with us in truth and love. And so when we, when we put those all together, that we know that to be able to have, have truth... We have love, and when we have love and truth, they're, they're, not, they're inseparable. And, and I think when he gets into the four, verses 4 to 6, he gives us again that reminder. When he talks about, and, and if, we're not, if we're not careful, we will isolate these. But when we have this all flow together, but he says, you know, the, he says, the greatest thing I can, oh, I've got heard great news. Oh, it just gives me so much joy that here's that some of y'all are walking in the truth. And then he, just as the Father commanded us. And do you, you think we can stop right there and go, see, we do what God wants us to do. We're walking in the truth. But he doesn't leave us there. He goes on. He says, now I want to give you a reminder. Not a new command, but one that we've had from the beginning. One that comes all together and brings it all together. I ask that we love one another. And we, we, if we're not careful, we start to put that in a different category. But he puts it all together. He says, this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. You're, you're, if we, he mentions one, he talks about the other. He talks about this one, he talks about that one. He, he just flows all together. You've heard from the beginning, his command is that we walk in love. We walk in, walk in truth, we walk in love. We live 
based upon the truth we live, based upon love. It all joins together in all that goes on. And so when we talk about doing what God wants to do, it means that when God looks at us, that part of that is we love. That we walk in truth, we love. We walk in love, we're walking in the truth. And it joins together. And so if we aren't loving when we talk about talking about what's true, we've missed the point about what true really is. Just this week, I, I, somebody posted a little video of some fella at a, at a gym yelling at people about how they needed to repent. And I'm sure he was, he was confident that he was telling them the truth, that they need to straighten up their lives. Do you know how many people got up in that gym and said, you know, you're telling me the truth. I need to change. Not a one of them because he wasn't being loving at all. He was making spectacle. In fact, I think he turned people away from even wanting to hear about Jesus because of how he behaved right in that moment. But if he flipped it around and talked about and had a relationship with them and they knew that he loved them and he talked about what was true, that would have been a whole different ballgame. And so if you talk about the truth and doing it in a loving, unloving way, you're really not being true. And then the flip side is we can talk about being loving means, oh, we don't tell anybody about what's going on. Well, if you love somebody, you talk about what's true. But the difference is, is when you love somebody with the truth, you come up to them and say, I'm concerned about you and I want to walk with you through this. See, the, the fellow at the gym in that little video clip, he felt self-righteous because he was telling them the truth. But nobody there had any any belief at all that he that he loved any of them i'm sure he walked away from there and told his friends and those he was with that he had he had told them the truth he had done what was right and the reality was he hadn't done what was right he hadn't told them the truth at all because he hadn't been loving if we walk in the truth we walk in love and they join together we have to keep them together to be able to do what god wants us to do there's another thing that John addresses that if we're not careful, we separate as different categories. The physical and the spiritual. And so if, we're, if we watch our lives, there are times that we talk about what, how we live our lives, and then we'll talk about spiritual things as if they're two different things. And the way he talks about this is in verse 7. It says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. And so what, there, there were some folks at that time who believed that because God was holy and these bodies are not, there is no way a holy God could come into this world and, and inhabit this flesh and blood body of ours. There's no way. And so when Jesus walked on the earth, he was holy. And so he had to be just spirit. He looked solid. But if he walked across the sand, he wouldn't leave any footprints. That he didn't need to eat. He never, you know, he, he, was a, he was a spiritual body, nothing physical at all. And so because of that, they, they had that separation, that, this lie that Jesus did not come in the flesh. And, and the thing is, is he didn't mince any kind of words when he said that. Because he says, these are folks that are liars. They're deceivers. These are folks that are the Antichrist. Now, that's a heavy-duty term, isn't it? If you call somebody the Antichrist, you're, you're really bringing out the big guns. But he, he's wanting them to see that when you take Christ and you make him as just spiritual and then you talk about life and the physical and they never can touch one another, we've done so much damage to what our faith is really all about. Because when you separate the physical and the spiritual, we don't live as God's people anymore. And let me show you one of those ways. In verse 8 and 11, he says, Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be fully rewarded. 
Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Now, in part of that, he says, those who come to them teaching that Jesus did not come in the flesh, they are not with God. They don't belong to God. Because part of the process when we talk about Jesus being in the flesh is that, you think about it, if Jesus didn't have a real body, if Jesus was just spiritual, what, did, what kind of life did he live when Satan tempted him? Was he really tempted? When he, when, he, when he walked among us, among humanity, was he really there? When he died on the cross, did, did he really have a body that died? Or was this just a, a, what appeared to be? When he's placed in the tomb, did they put a body there? When he rose from the dead, was it a real body or just an appearance of, of what it is? When you look at that whole process, once we say... Jesus did not come in the flesh. We wipe out everything that gives us hope. Because if Jesus did not walk among us, if Jesus did not die on that cross, if he was not buried and he was not raised in these bodies, what hope do we have? When we gather around this table, what we're saying, we say, look, in his sacrifice, we have gained so much. But if we say he was, it was just all spiritual, does that ever connect to us at all? We walked away from God when we separate those kind of things. When we, when we talk about how, how the reality, if we put him over here, we miss out on the reality that, yes, he walked among us. He got tired. He got hungry. Yes, he walked among us, and he, he, was, he was put to death on that cross. That the blood he shed was real blood. That the body that hung there was a real body. That the body they took down from that cross and put in that tomb was a real body. And that when he was raised from the dead, it was not just an imaginary or a spiritual thing, but it was a real body. That when we, when we take someone that we've lost and we stand there on that day that we're, we're, we're on their, in the, during the funeral, we talk about the hope that we have. We talk about that one day, one day they will be raised. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, what hope do we have for all those we've lost? If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, what hope do we have? And so when we make that separation between physical and spiritual, we we lose what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Let me give you another um, aspect of this. Because if we separate the physical and and spiritual, it also changes how we view how we live our lives. We don't have Gnosticism. Well, we do, but we don't call it that anymore. We don't have the, the same kind of structured belief. We won't really have somebody say, well, what you do in the body doesn't really count because it's all spiritual. Sometimes we'll live that way in this world. And, but when we make that separation, what happens, is that we, what happens is that we have spiritualized all that goes on. And so because Christ was spiritual and not physical, we can live this life and justify that, well, we're talking about spiritual things. Not real life. Y'all catch the problem in that? Is real life just what goes on in this body and then the spiritual will be something later on? That's so false. And so what happens is folks will, will determine, because I'm living life here, that means 
the way I love other people doesn't really, it's changed because spiritually I'm this. As opposed to I have to work with real people. I live among real people and in these bodies I have to live among everybody else. And so it matters how I live here. When we talk about the idea of, of living in this, this world, you know, what we do, we can say, well, this doesn't matter because it's all spiritual. One day we'll be in heaven. We can talk about the idea of, well, you know, it doesn't matter how I do something because my goal is this. And we'll justify the, the means that we do something based upon the ends that we have in mind. And the reality is we can't make those separations at all. It, it goes against what God has in mind for us. Because faith is lived in this world. We are people who live in these bodies and how we live our lives matters. And we've got to see that, that it doesn't matter a, a boring Monday. Well, I hope your Mondays are exciting in a good way. But when we get to a Monday that we're just, it's just all routine and it's just the same old thing, that those days matter. Because we're living in this world and we will live in this world until these, our souls leave our bodies or when Christ comes back. But we live here today and it does matter. We live a real life and all that goes on. I like, I like verses 12 and 13. It says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face. I love that phrase. Because there's some things we can talk about. Well, we did, we did this, but the reality is it matters being able to be together and see each other face to face. To be involved with each other in our lives. To be there for each other in the middle of real life. When we talk about love, we talk about our faith, we talk about truth. Verse 13, the children of your sister is chosen by God, send their greetings. They saw each other, and they were there for each other no matter what went on. Maybe we could do it this way. Have y'all ever, uh, when y'all have somebody who's done something wrong to you, what kind of apology makes it feel right? Now, that's kind of the wrong way to say that. What apology helps it be made right? And we talk about all kinds of different ways that we'll apologize. We can use our words. We can talk about how, what we do afterward and our behavior. We can talk about the, the hurt we feel because of what we've done to somebody else. And, and we know there are people who give false apologies. And we, we can say, somebody will say, well, I told you I'm sorry. But we know they were insincere and it was not a real apology. And those things feel empty. Because it's just a word without any kind of action. If they don't change what they've got going on, we, we feel like, well, you keep doing the same thing over and over again. Are you really sorry about it? They don't feel bad about it. They apologize for how you feel as opposed to what, what they've done. I see a real apology, though, has more substance to it. You know, it's that, that idea of, of the remorse feeling like I know what I did was wrong. I did this. I'm going to be different. I want to treat you right. What can I do to make it right for you? When it's, when it's said that way, we know that apology, apology, apologies have to be part of real life. Not just trying to erase something and go on. It has to have substance. Our faith is the same way. It's not something we just talk about. It's not something that we can act like, well, I know what's true so I can go on. I'm okay without realizing knowing what's true and being able to say it. It's not the same thing as living out our faith and loving because we know what is true. 
that the faith is setting a direction in our life, and we take this direction, we live it every day, we learn and we grow, we become more and more who God wants us to be. Faith is lived in real life. More than words. More than theory. We've got to put it into practice. So we see each other this morning face to face. Today, do you need these brothers and sisters of yours to gather around you and pray with you? It may be that you have talked about Christ. And it may be today you need to take the step to be committed to Him and live for Him. To put on Christ in baptism, to rise up to a brand new life, to start today new and dedicated to Him. If you need to respond, why don't you come now as we stand and sing.